The Ghost in the Cap'n Brown House by Harriet Beecher Stowe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alan Lord. The Ghost in the Cap'n Brown House by Harriet Beecher Stowe. Now, Sam, tell us certain true. Is there any such things as ghosts? Be there ghosts, said Sam, immediately translating into his vernacular grammar. Well, now, that is just a question, you see. Well, Grandma thinks there are, and Aunt Lois thinks it's all nonsense. Why, Aunt Lois don't even believe the stories in Cotton Mather's Magnalia. Wanna know, said Sam, with a tone of slow, languid meditation. We were sitting on a bank of the Charles River, fishing. The soft, melancholy red of evening was fading off in streaks on the glassy water, and the houses of Old Town were beginning to loom through the gloom, solemn and ghostly. There are times and tones and moods of nature that make all the vulgar daily wheels seem shadowy, vague and supernatural, as if the outlines of this hard material present were fading into the invisible and unknown. So Old Town with its elm trees, its great square wide houses, its beaten house and tavern, and blacksmith's shop and milly, which at high noon seem as real and as commonplace as possible, at this hour of the evening were dreamy and solemn. They rose up blurred, indistinct, dark. Here and there, winking candles sent long lines alight through the shadows, and little drops of unforeseen rain rippled the sheeny darkness of the water. Well, you see, boys, in them things, it's just as well to mind your granny. There's a considerable side of gumption in grandma's. You look at the folks that's earliest telling you what they don't believe, they don't believe this, and they don't believe that. What sort of folks is they? Why, like your Aunt Lois. Sort of stringy, dry. There ain't no sorption got out of not believing nothing. Lord of mercy, we don't know nothing about them things. We hadn't been there, and can't say that there ain't no ghost in sitch. Can we now? We agreed to that fact and sat a little closer to Sam in the gathering gloom. Tell us about the Captain Brown house, Sam. You didn't never go over the Captain Brown house? No, we had not that advantage. Well, you see, Captain Brown, he made all his money to sea in furrin' pods and then come here to Old Town to settle down. Now, there 
ain't no knowing about these here old shipmasters, where they's been or what they's been a doing or how they got their money. Ask me no questions, and I'll tell you no lies. Is about the best philosophy for them. Well, it didn't do no good to ask Captain Brown questions too close, cause you didn't get no satisfaction. Nobody rightly knew about who his folks was or where they come from, and if a body asked him, he used to say that the very first he knowed about himself, he was a young man walking the streets in London. But you see, boys, he had money, and that is about all folks want to know when a man comes to settle down. And he bought that our place, and he built that our house. He built it all in sea captain fashion, so as to feel as much at home as he could. The parlor was like a ship's cabin. The table and chairs was fastened down to the floor, and the closets was made with holes to set the casters and the decanters and bottles in, just as they'd be at sea. And there was stanchions to hold on by, and they say that blowy nights the captain used to fire up pretty well with his grog, till he'd had about all he could carry. And then he'd sit and hold on and hear the wind blow and kind of feel out to sea right there to him. The one known Miss Captain Brown, and it didn't seem likely to be known. And whether there ever had been one, nobody knowed. He had an old black guinea nigger woman named Cassia that did his work. She was shaped pretty much like one of these here great crook-neck squashes. She wasn't no great beauty, I can tell you. And she used to wear a great red turban and a yellow short gown and red petticoat and a great string of gold beads round her neck and great big gold hoops in her ears made right in the middle of Africa among the heathen there. For all she was black, she thought a heap of herself and was considerable sort of predominative over the captain. Hold him massy, boys, it's early as so. Get a man and a woman together. Any sort of woman you're a mind to, don't care who tis. And one way or another, she gets to rule over him. And he just has to train to her fife. Some does it one way, and some does it another. Some does it by jawing, and some does it by kissing, and some does it by faculty and contrivance. But one way or another, the Alice does it. Old Cap'n Brown was a good, stout, stocky kind of John Bull sort of fella, and a good judge of spirits, and Alice kept the best in them are cupboards or his'n. But, first and last, things in his house went pretty much as old Cassius said. Folks got to kind of respectin' Cassia. She come to meetin' Sunday regular, 
and sot all fixed up in red and yellow and green, with glass beads and what not, looking for all the world like one of them ugly Indian idols. But she was well behaved as any Christian. She was a master hand at cooking. Her bread and biscuits couldn't be beat, and no couldn't her pies, and there weren't no such pound cake as she made nowhere. Well, this is story I'm a gonna tell you was told me by Cynthia Pendleton. There ain't a more respectable gal, old or young, than Cynthia nowheres. She lives over to Sherburne now, and I hear tell she set up a manty-making business. But then, she used to do tailoring in Old Town. She was a member of the church, and a good Christian as ever was. Well, you see, Cassia, she got Cynthia to come up and spend a week to the Captain Brown house, a doing tailoring and a fixing over his clothes. Twas along toward the first of March. Cynthia, she sat by the fire in the front parlor, with her goose and her press board and her work, for there weren't no company calling, and the snow was drifted four feet deep, right across the front door, so there weren't much danger of anybody coming in. And the captain, he was a polite man to women, and Cynthia, she liked it just as well not to have company, cause the captain, he'd make himself entertaining, telling on her sea stories, and all about his adventures among the Ammonites and the Parasites and Jebusites, and all sorts of heathen people he'd been among. Well, that a week, they come on the mass of snowstorm. Of all the snowstorms that had been, that uh, was the beater. And I tell you, the wind blew as if twas the last chance it was ever gonna have. Well, it's kinda scary like to be shut up in a lone house with all nature kinda breaking out and going on so, and the snow are coming down so thick you can't see across the street, and the wind a piping and a squealing and a rumbling and a tumbling fust down this chimney. And then down that, I tell you, it sort of sets a fella thinking of the three great things. Death, judgment, and eternity. And I don't care who the folks is, nor how good they be. There's times when they must be feeling pretty considerable solemn. Well, Cynthia, she said she kind of felt so long. And she had a sort of queer feeling come over her, as if there was somebody or something round the house. Morn appeared. She said she sort of felt it in the air. But it seemed to her silly, and she tried to get over it. But two or three times, she said when it got to be dusk, she felt somebody go by her up the stairs. The front entry wasn't very light in the daytime. And in the storm, come five o'clock, it was so dark that all you could see was 
just a gleam of something. And two or three times, when she started to go upstairs, she see a soft, white something that seemed going up before her. And she stopped with her heart a-beating like a trip hammer. And she sort of saw it go up and along the entry to the captain's door. And then it seemed to go right through, because the door didn't open. Well, Cynthia, say she to old Cassia, say she, is there anybody lives in this house but us? Anybody live here? Says Cassia. What you mean, says she? Says Cynthia, I thought somebody went past me on the stairs last night and tonight. Lordy massy, how old Cassia did screech and laugh. Good Lord, says she, how foolish white folks is. Somebody went past you? Was it the captain? No, it wasn't the captain, says she. It was something soft and wide. I moved very still. It was like something in the air, says she. Then Cassia, she haw-hawed louder, says she. It's hysterics, Miss Cynthia. That's all it is. Well, Cynthia... She was kind of shamed, but for all that, she couldn't help herself. Sometimes, evenings, she'd be a-settin' with the captain, and she'd think she'd hear somebody a-movin' in his room overhead, and she knowed it wasn't Cassia, because Cassia was ironin' in the kitchen. She took pains once or twice to find out that I... Well, you see... The captain's room was the great front upper chamber over the parlor. And then right opposite to it was the great spare chamber where Cynthia slept. It was just as grand as could be with a great four-post mahogany bedstead and damask curtains bought over from England. But it was cold enough to freeze a white bear solid the way spare chambers Alice is. Then there was the entry between, run straight through the house. One side was old Cassia's room, and the other was a sort of storeroom where the old captain kept all sorts of traps. Well, Cynthia, she kept a having things happen and a seeing things till she didn't really know what was in it. Once, when she come into the parlor, just at sundown, she was sure she see a white figure a vanishing out of the door that went towards the side entry. She said it was so dusk that all she could see was just this white figure, and it just went out still as a cat as she come in. Well, Cynthia didn't like to speak to the captain about it. She was a close woman. Pretty prudent, Cynthia was. But one night, about the middle of the week, this here thing kind of come to a crisis. Cynthia said she'd been up pretty late, a sewing and a finishing off down in the parlor. And the captain, he sat up with her and was considerable cheerful and entertaining 
telling her all about things over in the Bermudas and off to China and Japan and round the world generally. The storm that had been a-blowing all the week was about as furious as ever, and the captain, he stirred up a mess of flip and headed for her heart to go to bed on. He was a good-natured critter, and Alice had feelings for lone women, and I suppose he knew twas sort of desolate for Cynthia. Well, taking the flip so right the last thing afore going to bed, she went right off to sleep as sound as a nut, and slept on till somewhere about morning, when she said something waiter brought awake in a minute. Her eyes flew wide open like a spring, and the storm had gone down, and the moon come out. And there, standing right in the moonlight by her bed, was a woman, just as white as a sheet, with black hair hanging down to her waist, and the brightest, mournfullest black eyes you ever see. She stood there looking right at Cynthia, and Cynthia thinks that was what waked her up. Because, you know, if anybody stands and looks steady at folks asleep, it's apt to wake them. Anyway, Cynthia said she felt just as if she was turned into stone. She couldn't move nor speak. She lay a minute, and then she shut her eyes and began to say her prayers. And a minute after, she opened them, and it was gone. Cynthia was a sensible gal, and one that Alice had her thoughts about her, and she just got up and put a shawl round her shoulders, and went first and looked at the doors, and they was both on them locked, just as she left them when she went to bed. Then she looked under the bed and in the closet, and felt all round the room. Where she couldn't see, she felt her way and there wa'n't nothing there. Well, next morning, Cynthia got up and went home, and she kept it to herself a good while. And finally, one day, when she was working to our house, she told Hepsy about it, and Hepsy, she told me. Well, Sam, we said after a pause, in which we heard only the rustle of leaves and the ticking of branches against each other, what you suppose it was? Well, that is. You know just as much about it as I do. Hepsy told Cynthia it might have been a dream, and so it might. But Cynthia, she was sure it wasn't a dream. Because she remembers plain hearing the old clock on the stairs strike four while she had her eyes open looking at the woman. And then she only shed him a minute just to say, now I lay me, and opened him, and she was gone. Well, Cynthia told Hepsy, and Hepsy, she kept it pretty close. She didn't tell it to nobody, except Aunt Sally Dickerson and the widow B.G. Smith, and your grandma Badger, and the minister's wife, and they, every one of them, Greed it ought to be kept close, cause it would make talk. Well, 
Come spring, somehow or other, it seems we got all over Old Town. I heard on it to the star and up to the tavern. And Jake Marshall, he says to me one day, What's this e about the captain's house? And the widow Loka, she says to me, There's been a ghost seen in the captain's house. And I heard on it clear over to Needham and Sherborne. Some of the women, they drew themselves up pretty stiff and proper. Your Aunt Lois was one on them. Ghost, says she, don't tell me. Perhaps it would be best if twas a ghost, says she. She didn't think I ought to be no such doings in nobody's house. And your grandma, she shut her up and told her she didn't ought to talk so. Talk how, said I, interrupting Sam with wonder. What did Aunt Lois mean? Why, you see, said Sam mysteriously, there allers is folks in every town that's just like the Sadducees in old times. They won't believe in angel, no spirit, no way you can fix it. And if things is seen and done in a house, why they say it's cause there's somebody there, there's some sort of deviltry or trick about it. So, the story got round that there was a woman kept private in Captain Brown's house, and that he bought her from foreign parts, and it growed and growed till there was all sorts of ways of telling on it. Some said they'd seen her a-setting at an open window. Some said that moonlight nights they'd seen her a-walking out in the back garden, kind of in and out, among the bean poles and squash vines. You see, it come on spring and summer, and the windows of the Cap'n Brown house stood open, and folks was all a-watching on them day and night. And Sally Dickerson told the minister's wife that she'd seen in plain daylight a woman a-setting at the chamber window between four and five o'clock in the morning. Just a setting, a looking out and a doing nothing like anybody else. She was very white and pale and had black eyes. Some said that it was a nun the captain had brought away from a Roman Catholic convent in Spain. And some said he'd got her out of the Inquisition. Aunt Sally said she thought the minister ought to call and inquire why she didn't come to meeting and who she was, and all about her, cause you see, she said, it might be all right enough if folks only know just how things was. But if they didn't, why folks will talk. Well, did the minister do it? What, Parson Lothrop? Well, no, he didn't. He made a call on the cabin in a regular way, and asked, out of his health and all his family. But the captain, he seemed just as jolly and chipper as a spring robin, and he gin the minister some of his old Jamaica. And the minister, he come away and said he didn't see nothing. And no, he didn't. Folks never does see nothing when they ain't looking where it is. 
Fact is, Parson Lothrop wasn't fond of interfering. He was a master hand to slick things over. Your grandma, she used to moan about it, cause she said he never gave no pin to the doctrines, but twas all of a piece. He kinda took everything the smooth way. But your grandma, she believed in the ghost, and so did Lady Lothrop. I was up to her house t'other day, fixing a doorknob, and says she, Sam, your wife told me a strange story about the Cap'n Brown house. Yes, ma'am, she did, says I. Well, what do you think of it, says she. Well, sometimes I think, and then again, I don't know, says I. There's Cynthia, and she's a member of the church and a good, pious gal, says I. Yes, Sam, says Lady Lothrop, says she. And Sam, says she, it is just like something that happened once to my grandmother when she was living in the old province house in Boston, says she. These here things is the mysteries of Providence, and it's just as well not to have them too much talked about. Just so, says I, just so. That is what every woman I've talked with says, and I guess, first and last, I've talked with twenty good, safe church members, and there's every one opinion that this year oughtn't to be talked about. Why, over to the deacons, to the night, we went it all over as much as two or three hours, and we concluded that the best way was to keep quite still about it. And that's just what they say over to Needham and Sherburn. I've been all round a-hushing this year up, and I ain't found but a few people that hadn't the particulars one way or another. This year was what I says to Lady Lothrop. The fact was... I never did see no report spread so, nor make sich sort of sarchings a heart as this here. It really did beat all, cause if twas a ghost, why there was the pin proved, you see. Cynthia's a church member, and she see it, and got right up and sarched the room. But then again, if twas a woman, why, that there uh, was kind of awful. It give cause, you see, for thinking all sorts of things. There was Captain Brown. To be sure, he won a church member, but yet he was as honest and regular a man as any going, as far as any on us could see. To be sure, nobody knowed where he come from, but that why no reason again him. This year might have been a crazy sister, or some poor critter that he took out of the best of motives. And the scripture says, Charity hopeth all things. But then, you see, the folks will talk. That as the pester all these things. And they did son on him talk considerable strong about the captain. But somehow or other, there didn't nobody come to the pin a-facing on him down and saying square out, Captain Brown, 
have you got a woman in your house or hain't you what is the ghost or what is it folks somehow never does come to that you see there was the captain so respectable a settin up every sunday there in his pew with his ruffles round his hands and his red broadcloth cloak and his cocked hat why folks hearts sort of failed him when it come to saying anything right to him they thought and kind of whispered round that the minister or the deacons ought to do it but lordy massy ministers i suppose has feelings like the rest on us they don't want to eat all the hard cheeses that nobody else won't eat anyhow there wasn't nothing said direct to the cabin and just for one of that all the folks in old town kept a bilin and a bilin like a kettle of soap till it seemed all the time as if they'd bile over some of the women tried to get something out of cassie lordy massy you might as well have tried to get it out an old tom turkey that'll strut and gobble and quitter and drag his wings on the ground and fly at you but won't say nothing cassie she screeched her queer sort of laugh and she told him that they was a making fools of themselves and that the captain's matters one none of their business and that was true enough as to going into cassia's room or into any of the storerooms or closets she kept the keys of you might as well have gone into a lion's den she kept all her places locked up tight and there was no getting at nothing in the captain brown house else i believe some of the women would have sent a such one well said i what came of it didn't anybody ever find out well said sam it come to an end sorta and it didn't come to an end it was just this ere way you see along in october just in the sodom making time abel flint he was took down with dysentery and died you remember the flint house it stood on a little rise of ground just looking over towards the brown house well there was aunt sally dickerson and the widow b g smith they sat up with the corpse he was laid out in the back chamber you see over the milk room and kitchen but there was cold victuals and sitch in the front chamber where the watchers sat well now aunt sally she told me that between three and four o'clock she heard wheels of rumbling and she went to the window and it was clear starlight and she see a coach come up to the captain brown house and she see the captain come out bringing a woman all wrapped in a cloak and old cassie came out her with her arms full of bundles and he put her into the carriage and shut her in and it drove off and she see old cassie stand looking over the fence arter it she tried to wake up the widow but twas towards morning and the widow alice was a hard sleeper so there were no witness but her well then it wasn't a ghost said i 
after all, and it was a woman. Well, that is, you see, folks don't know that I yet, cause there it's just as broad as tis long. Now look at it. There's Cynthia. She's a good pious gal. She locks her chamber dolls, both on them, and goes to bed. And wakes up in the night, and there's a woman there. She just shuts her eyes, and the woman's gone. She gets up and looks, and both dolls is locked, just as she left them. That air woman wan't flesh and blood now, no way. Not such flesh and blood as we knows on. But then they say Cynthia might have dreamed it. Well, now, look at it t'other way. There's Aunt Sally Dickerson, and she's a good woman and a church member. Well, she sees a woman in a cloak with all her bundles brought out of Captain Brown's house and put into a carriage and drive off between three and four o'clock in the morning. Well, that air shows there must have been a real live woman kept there privately. And so what Cynthia saw wasn't a ghost. Well, now, Cynthia says Aunt Sally might have dreamed it. That she got her head so full of stories about the Captain Brown house and watched it till she got asleep and had this ear dream. And as there didn't nobody else see it, it might have been, you know. Aunt Sally's clear she didn't dream. And then again, Cynthia's clear she didn't dream. But which on em was awake, or which on em was asleep, is what ain't settled in old town yet. End of The Ghost in the Cap'n Brown House by Harriet Beecher Stowe Recording by Alan Lord.